Hello. 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 And welcome to the third instalment of Lockdown Two Minute Stories. Boy. I went for a different voice this time. I, I, I haven't had great feedback for the Scottish accent, so I've got to come up with new ones. How are you doing, everybody? We are. How long? How far into this thing are we now? Are we seven weeks, eight weeks into into lockdown, and more weeks to follow? Ooh, isn't it weird? It's just the new normal now, isn't it? It's a funny time. How are we doing out there? Are you are you zooming? Are you zooming with your relatives? Are you writing haiku? Are you eating too many crisps? I've been doing some of those things. I've mostly been keeping busy this week by writing screenplays and eating too much. I can recommend both. They're incredibly fun, satisfying pursuits, and they seem to go hand in hand. Who have we got on the show today, Chris? I hear you ask. And which co-host have you got on the show today, Chris? I hear you ask. It's not that unconvincing Scottish man again, is it? No. Today, he's got me, the unconvincing Irishman. We've come to usurp the unconvincing Scotchman. Because... He wasn't getting any better. So I've come in to provide a bit of respite from that laughable, risible Glaswegian accent. We've come in to be a generic Irish accent, which is just as well, isn't it, Chris? Why is that Irish, Chris? Because you got Irish blood flowing through your veins so you can get away with an insulting Irish accent. Oh, I lost it on the word insulting there, didn't I? <laughs> I can get away with an insulting Irish accent because I'm three quarters Irish. There we go. I'm allowed to shut up. All right. Who have we got on the show today, Chris? Can you, can you stop doing your accents and just tell us who we've got on the show? Okay. I guess I will. Well, today... Lucky us, we have another all-star combo of novelist and poet. We've got Rachel Gen from the Manchester Writing School, as most, if not all, of our guests are, is a doctor of neuroscience by training, that's right, and a former Royal Society Fellow at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Ooh! but she's also a novelist. Her debut novel, The Cure, was published by Corsair in 2011, and her second novel, What You Could Have Won, is coming out imminently, and we're going to talk about that on the show. And we've got Keith Hudson, the fantastic Keith Hudson. His debut collection, Baldwin's Catholic Geese, was published to huge acclaim by Blood Axe last year, I believe, possibly 2018. Might have been 2018. I'm not sure. And he's a, he was a prolific comedy writer 
for stand-ups including Les Dawson and Frankie Howard. He was a scriptwriter for Coronation Street. He's had more than 150 poems published in journals and anthologies. It might be a lot more than that now, even. And uh, his pamphlet, Troopers, which came before his collection, of course, was selected by Caroline Duffy as a laureate's choice publication. There we go. Rachel Genn and Keith Hudson talking deroiting life on two minutes. Shut up, Chris. Shut up. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to learn stuff. It's going to be great. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to talk about nature returning. And we're going to talk about uh, the implications for the publishing industry a little bit. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about how Keith has been getting on moving into a new house outside Halifax. Well, there you go, classic topics. Who should we hear from first? Should we go for Rachel? Yeah, go on then. Here's Rachel again. Stingray. On her holidays, she dressed in fashions her oldest boy would soon detest her for. Today, a sage-green slash neck, crepe too heavy for inland Spain, straight skirt, jade silk scarf around her bun. The afternoon slowly doped her three children so that she needed to do no more than nudge them from the pool up the stairs into their beds, where they lay, eyes closed and quivering, which she took to mean she could nip to the bar. It was a couple of hours, that's all. Time enough for a good nap, and on returning, through the crack of the open door, she already knew they weren't asleep. Opening the door wider, her knees hit the tiles without noise, and at the same time, her hand clamped over her mouth. The worn towel had dried in the short time between lunch and siesta. It hung from the marble sill, trembling to the smudge of their feet as they swapped places in the limited space, framed high in the open window, three small backs black against the straw light of the alley outside. Do it, they were saying to the middle boy, because even the babby knew the middle boy was most likely to. The mother stayed on her knees to inch back out onto the corridor leaning forward at last to catch the underside of the doorknob and softly pull it closed. A recent convert, she blessed herself for each of the floors between here and the ground. They must have heard the click, because there were the thuds, then the slapping of their little soles in retreat on the tiles. When she opened the door again, she held her head high, as if it was the first time. I think I had my initial nervous breakdown fairly quickly into homeschooling and that kind of like blew the lid off things a little bit. I I then calmed down for the next few weeks. The, the thing that got me at the beginning was the noise. I'm not used to having uh, no control over how much noise I am like um, surrounded by. So that just completely screwed me at the beginning. I just realised how much I rely on silence in my day <laughs> to get anything done at all are you being able to be productive during this spell well um it's it's i've been applying for loads of like emergency funding etc uh not got any of it but um 
and also set up some collaborations with people which were on hold because I never had time to flesh them out. So that's something that's happened. New shoots have started to grow there. Um, but what I have decided to do is write about um, how anticipation kind of scrambles the motivation to do anything and how this like living uh, creatively without any salt, you know, it's kind of like a, a bland, um, hermetically sealed existence when it comes to how one normally feels about creating things. So I'm writing up, yeah, I'm writing something about it. How's it, how's that going? Yeah, it's not bad. It's, it's okay. I've, I think I have, um, I've got a fantastic quote by Denise Riley that talks about the idea of being able to write is only possible because you have a sense of futurity. Um, against that, I'm kind of squashing uh, something that Agnes Callard, a philosopher, said on Twitter last week, which is working from home is completely unerotic. And I think the <laughs> word that links the two of them is seduction. I think as people who are creative, we are looking to be seduced by ideas, mm. the world, mm. the work itself. And when you don't really know what's happening in real life, that can be yeah. kind of um, obstructed, I think. Yes, there is a, uh, a drudgery to, to working from home oh. for, for long extended periods, isn't there? Yeah, I think, I think the idea of chance is very potent that we... Uh, there's there's no chance of bumping into anyone or encountering anything spontaneous or new in a house without any private parts. Excuse my pun. Um, it's just it's very difficult to uh, to hide, skive. That's what I like to do. Yeah. I live to skive, and if you stop me, you're a skiver, right? I, I think everyone who is creative is a skiver. We only work to be able to skive again. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much why I started. Productive <laughs> skiving, that's how I like to look at it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things about lockdown that has been like, um, as you say, doubly blocking is that you've got, now the, there's no need to do anything because in comparison to everyone dying, nothing matters. But also mm. you've got um, unlimited time to do everything. And that yeah. is just as calcifying as as not having yes. enough time or resources to do something. Yes. It, how do you deal with that? Um, I have to kind of like almost create like Olympian kind of frameworks for myself. I have to put something in place that I have to see as um, a low-level threat that I can kick against because I'm not, I think there's nothing really uh, will make me do the work except for uh, some kind of relational dynamic with it that is so violent in some way. There's got to be threat, there's got to be bullying, there's got to be something that is completely against one's better nature that needs to draw you in. So I have to kind of pretend those things for myself. I I find that the uh, the prospect of having to take on a bunch of paid work that I would hate is very good for making me wake yeah. up at five a.m. and and write write short stories. You know. Yes, yes, definitely that. Yeah, um, 
luckily, you know, I've got a job in this time and I can, um, uh, although it's, you know, I don't work very often, I've got a a part-time job, but at least there's something there that allows me to carry on. Um, If I had to take on more and squeeze out the creative stuff that I am not doing, then I would be, I'd be very upset, yeah. Of course, like me, you are not not but a writer. You're also a filmmaker. Have you been working on any films of late? Um, I, in fact, I have. I'm just trying to uh, steal the skills of my children. Um, for of course, this is the only reason we have them. Uh, so they're little <laughs> like gimmicks on. Stop You're not allowed to say that to them. Of, they can hear me. Um, okay. <laughs> they're little gimmicks that they have. Than the way they film things and the gorgeous little like quirks that they know about that I don't. I'm trying to put something together for um, Desperate Literature, which is a, a bookshop in Madrid where I was supposed to be, in fact, last week. Um, and they're getting people to um, put together film and spoken word about. Uh, what inspires them during this time. So I'm trying to get a, a little film together for that. So I'm doing little bits. I've also, the collaboration I was talking about before is um, with a, a filmmaker from London who, she does photogrammetry and she's just been uh, in Athens just before the lockdown. She filmed an entire meat market um, and my, I grew up in a butcher's shop, so we're doing a collaborative piece, which is a, like an in, immersive tour of death and uh, meat, and my words will go alongside it. I have to, I have to ask what photogrammetry is, but I also need to know more about you growing up in a butcher's shop. Well, um, photogrammetry, as far as I know, is kind of like the piecemeal um, taking of photographs in a 3D space that are ah, okay. uh, that don't capture in the same way as film does the the entire um capacity of the 3D image if you understand what i mean i think it, it gets stitched together afterwards and the effect is amazing it's and it fits with the way i write as well i think because it's not fake it's not real and it's not dream so it's it's kind of like somewhere in between the three now tell me about growing up in a butcher shop. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm doing some writing about that at the moment for this project, but also um, really to uh, remember my father who died when I was very young. Um, not so very young, but it seems that I was very young because it's so long ago. Uh, and I think that a lot of our intimacy when I was a kid uh, was kind of, pinned to the shop and pinned to butchering pinned to abattoirs because they were I just had to accompany him wherever he went um I guess my mother was working everyone else wasn't there and just the the stuff of butchering the kind of like the bleach the block the the bones and the games that we used to play in those uh in that kind of arena were just like um the thing for me that you know they're they're what I'm made of that's an interesting potent thing to be made of yeah yeah no wonder you became a writer yeah yeah 
There was a, a particular thing I was writing about the other day where we used to sit at the back of the abattoir on this ramp and my brothers used to slap cow's ears to my face as if they were growing out of the side of my head and I would run around screaming. Yeah, nice childhood. Um, all right, well, t- tell us about uh, about the piece that you read. What uh, What inspired the writing of that piece? It goes on to uh, explore, again, another particular, like, constrained environment, in this case, a wardrobe, which turned out to be very significant at lots of points in my life, one of which was when my brother set fire to the clothes inside, and I was three months old, and my mother saw the smoke puthering out of the window as she came up the road, and what she my brother was holding me out of the window and because i was 3 months old and they didn't want me to breathe in smoke but um what stays with me is the fact that when she used to come down the drive in her car she used to turn off the engine and just freewheel down and the movement always reminded me of a stingray as i came down with her the kind of dip and lurch and then stopping uh so yeah, it's a, it's it's about this wardrobe, what happened to it, what happened to me in it, and what became of it in the end. I'm also doing a lot of stuff around the book that is still coming out in autumn, that my novel. Um, so I'm doing quite a lot of stuff around that, you know, trying to uh, get people to read it, get people to say things about it, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, it's hard to launch a novel in these times. Isn't, isn't <laughs> in the it? apocalypse. However, yeah. one, one does then have an excuse for when uh, it sinks without a trace. Yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing, you could, nothing you can do. It was the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. what, what's your novel about? Um, it's about a, a psychiatrist who is narcissistic and bullied at work. And he decides to, um, instead of letting himself fall in love with his new girlfriend, who is a singer in her ascendance, he decides to use her as a drug experiment. And uh, the the book follows the, the ins and outs of their relationship. Um, a lot of it is set on a Greek island uh, where she goes to recover. And... Um, yeah, it's it's about uh, regrettable events. It's uh, the, the, on the website for the publisher. It says that, and I forgot that I'd written this on the uh, on the publicity document. But um, it says I wrote this book because I didn't want Amy Winehouse to be dead, and that is actually true. Mm. I, mm. It is one of the motivations for writing it was that I didn't want women to throw their brilliance away. I wanted them to yeah. own it and feel like that they deserved it. I think I want to read your book. I hope so. It's called What You Could Have Won. Oh, I remember. I remember you talking about yeah. it now <laughs> when you came on the show. Yes, yeah. All well, it's finished now. A it? year or more ago. Yeah, yeah. Was is that is the Amy Winehouse story? Is that something that you uh, have been quite engaged with and you've looked into, or was that just a kind of fleeting no? Reference? No, it's a fleeting reference. It's more of a a, a universal theme than than kind of allied to her life uh but yes i, I see her as a, a perfect exemplar of that universal theme 
Yeah, it's super interesting what's what's happened to her. I I, oh. I in fact have a, an ambition that when I finished off the million and one projects that I've, I've started and not finished, I would I I had an idea to write a novel about a sort of um, you know fictional version of a of a figure like Amy Winehouse and, and yeah. yeah try and unpick that that situation. It's so uh, tragic yeah. and awful and yeah. I guess that's what I've done in this book, in a way. It's what I've I've done in what you could have won is uh, tried to see the turning point where Amy Winehouse did not make the same turn, but my character Astrid does make the turn, and she, she, uh, yeah, you'll see if you read it. <laughs> oh, you beat me to it! You stole my idea then. <laughs> All right, I'll cross that. I'll cross that off my to-do list then. That's fair enough. <laughs> Do you do you think, Rachel? Do you think that uh, that writers have a responsibility in times such as these? Um, uh, responsibility, I don't know. I don't know, but I do feel like the the way in which writers and artists will enmesh with this situation will produce something that is unpredictable. I just feel like um, when something reaches out to whatever it isn't, like creativity reaches out to like a, a, a kind of like stullifying uh, global encounter that we're all experiencing at the same time, the, it's interesting stuff has got to happen, hasn't it? It's just got to be. Um, eventually, it's got to be. Uh, fertile. That was me talking to Rachel again. And we're going to hear from Keith Hudson now. Now, when after Keith Hudson reads his brilliant sonnet, written specifically responding to the lockdown situation, and never before heard, uh, after that, you're going to hear him talking about an event with Emily. And that would be Emily Oldfield, who appeared on the first lockdown episode and just to fill you in Keith mentions an event a launch event uh, that he and I both read at which was the launch for Emily's pamphlet Grit it was me Keith and Emily at the writing school at MMU just before the lockdown began like a day a day or two before the lockdown began so there you go that's the Emily that he's going to talk about the famous Emily Oldfield here's Keith Hudson In Italy, where song is how they speak, apartment balconies now stage solo sopranos, basses, tenors, and below the loneliness, uplifting it, week after viral week, their arias, though isolated, flow to every home and heart, a captive audience, the us, that makes a nation human to its bones. Each prisoner of illness, fear, precaution, hears, and antisocial distancing becomes a nothing. No, a locomotion. All together now, the world joins them. One body, purpose, voice, a state of grace because Bereft of hugs, we are embraced. 
I moved house the day before the lockdown, um, which was um, that was actually the the day after Emily's launch the previous evening. So mm. um, yeah, I, I, I moved house then, and I'm I'm fully ensconced here in living out of boxes and things because it's still all quite new. Mm. But um, as far as the lockdown's concerned and what have you. Um, yeah, you know, work stopped. Um, um, I had a, several readings lined up with a Reed Regional New Writing North thing, and of course they've all been cancelled. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing some online tutoring. Uh, I'm, I'm Zoom meeting my kids and um, mm-hmm. just kind of and getting out for a run and walking the dog. It's fairly isolated up here, so you can do yeah. it quite safely without inconveniencing others. Yeah, it, it's 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 okay. Um, I'm lucky in that I'm in my own place. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, there's no stress or strain really. Mm-hmm. So thank you for asking. But yeah, not too bad. Glad to hear it. How are you, how are you uh, are you bonding with your, with your new house? I've bonded. Yes, I've bonded far too much with my new house. Actually, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, um, sort of like um, the, I think Muppet Treasure Island. They did a song called Cabin Fever, and um, I identify with that at the moment a little bit. Um, my neighbours are lovely. Um, I've bonded with all them, and we all go out and applaud the NHS every um, Thursday. And well um, yeah, and there's there's a local farm that delivers milk and eggs and. Yeah, I, huh. the bonding is going well. Yes, yeah. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah, getting to know each other a little bit too well, though. Yeah. In the house. Well, that's yeah, grand. Absolutely. It sounds like you're yeah. in a good spot. It's lovely. It, it it's it's a place called Booth, which is just outside Halifax. It's very rural. It, it's it's a one horse town, and the horses left. You know, um, the, there's there's really. It, it's it, it's a terrace of houses and that's booth um hmm. it's just beautiful um it, it's absolutely glorious emily has actually been to see the place before the lockdown when i was going hmm. to buy it and she came up to stay with me um to work on her pamphlet at my at my old house and i said oh come on i'll take you up to see where i'm moving to and then she just absolutely adored it as well um you know it it's it's great. I'm I'm very very fortunate. Rolling pastures, um, buzzards and kestrels in the sky. Woodpeckers, tree creepers. It's oh, wow. like there was a film on. There was a Walt Disney film years ago when I was a kid called Song of the South, um, mm. where kind of it was a, real people and then animated things going on as well, all kind of like wildlife and things. And it's just it, I, I think it's like. Song of the South, but in, in, in reality, this, yeah, yeah. Lovely. Kestrels and buzzards, you lucky so-and-so. I know, I know, yes, yes. Well, I'm, uh, I'm in Didsbury, and uh, I've got the Mersey, uh, a stone's throw yeah. from my front door, so I've been going for daily five- yes. and ten-kilometre runs, dragging my aching calves along the side of the yes. Mersey. Yes, And uh, enjoying the ducks. The ducks and yeah. the geese and the occasional heron, they've been my friends. The the Mersey Valley is lovely these days. It is, um, yeah. It, it's vastly improved from how it used to be years ago. 
um and um it's a great place to to walk yeah 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 i mean herons on in the river you know sort of on the banks of the river mersey now that that's mm. that, that there are some good news stories you know <laughs> exactly yeah it was a weird sight it was a massive great heron as well very yeah it's almost yeah, asian yeah. looking anyway well i'll tell you what i think we're all doing a lot more running than we used to do i mean oh, i've Jesus. got i've got aching calves as well so yes me too i've been doing it every day trying, to, yes, I've, been trying to do, I've been trying to do 5k every day and i've been upping, yeah. it, upping it to 10k every now and then and then yeah good I man to, yeah great I got, I got to about three days ago and then i tried to i tried to wake up at six in the morning to you know do my morning work and my body was just like no no not rested <laughs> yeah. enough you are yes. not working today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Body yeah. yeah. My calves staged a coup. Yes. 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 I think. Yes. M mine do as well. Um, <laughs> because I've got this mattress on the floor at the moment because I've not made my bed frame. They kind of protest about me kind of <laughs> heaving myself up in the morning and saying, you've done too much running, Keith. You know? Yeah. I uh, see so you've got you've got the lockdown bachelor lifestyle down to a T then mattress on the floor. I have, I have. Lockdown bachelor the it seems like a contradiction in terms that doesn't it really it does. but yes <laughs> yes I have awesome well Keith um tell me about uh chorus tell me about what inspired the writing of chorus which I loved by the way I will do thank you um what inspired the writing of chorus was that um I I haven't got a telly where I am yet. I might not get one. I don't know. But of course, I've got a radio. And uh, I was listening to either um, the Today programme or PM. I'm not too sure which one. I can't remember which one it was. And um, it was um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, when things were, things are still really bad in Italy. Things are really bad everywhere. But it's when they were sort of, they hadn't yet reached their, coronavirus peak and the lockdown was total and there was this lovely story about um um opera singers um um going out onto the balconies and 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 singing for the surrounding neighborhood mm. and everybody listening and a lot of people joining in as well coming out and joining in and you know because i'm i, I, I blub easily it made me blub and and i just thought how lovely since then i've actually um heard about um brass bands playing separately in their living rooms and then kind of very cleverly technically bringing it all together so you've got sort of the brick house brass band the brick house and rastric brass band around here um have just done the floral dance which um was was <laughs> sort of terry wogan's greatest hit a few years ago um and there's all sorts of things like this going on but of course italy is is renowned for music and renowned for opera and renowned for song and so it just inspired me to um um to write a sonnet um about that uh, you know about that lovely lovely situation and mm. and how these wonderful things um are are, are happening during a time which is very very sad and dangerous for many people um and 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 it just filled me with um you know hope for humanity if you like really if that's that doesn't sound too pious 
No, I, I think uh, I think this is exactly the right time for hope for humanity. I think you bang on. Um, how do you think that this uh, these interesting times through which we are living? How do you think that they will affect your writing and maybe writing in general as well? That's an yeah, that's a good question. Um, It's a difficult one to answer. Hmm. At the moment, I am trying not to write too many poems um, about either directly about or in a slant way coronavirus because, you know, um, it's just what the world needs, isn't it? Another poet writing <laughs> about coronavirus, you yeah. know. Um, that the, there, there are more important things going on. So I'm trying to kind of um, keep my breadth of writing um, um, as, as wide as possible. Mm. But one cannot help but be affected by what's going on. And so um, the, 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 the feelings of isolation and community are coming into my work a lot. How will it, how it will affect it going forward? Um, I, I, I don't really know. I, I, I think that nothing will be the same mm. after this mm. um some things will change drastically some things will change a bit but nothing will be the same i know people are saying that um they hope that there's a lot more fellowship about and a lot more um, compassion and caring etc mm. well there might be there might not be we don't yeah. know you know because people very easily me included revert to their default mode you know um whatever that is mm. but um we, there is no vaccine yet for this and we don't know what what's going to happen there is a possibility that it will come back in waves it is going to change things it is going to change things socially and economically um and that will affect my writing um because i tend to write about the human condition a lot um it will evolve it it will evolve but i don't want to lose the the the, the passion about the things that i do write about because you know coronavirus is something in the vast history of of humanity um and i think it would be wrong if people concentrated on that forgetting everything else because what we want is a bridge to normal living perhaps improved living after this but we want a bridge to normal living as well don't we well yeah i mean i think that the the world was not not in the greatest of states before no. this before this happened and i yes. think it's uh, it's interesting to think about um yeah what shifts are going to occur if it is going to bring us into a more community oriented um environment oriented uh you know compassionate global space but uh, we can hope so we can i, hope, I, I think we? I think there's a really good chance. I don't think we've got any choice, Chris, to be quite yeah. honest, you know. Let's say it, let's um, say it is. It's all going to be great from here on in. That, that, yeah, yeah, let's say it is. Yes, yeah, let, let's be optimistic. It will, it will, there will be some positives that come out of this, but mm. 
it's difficult to talk about the positives yet because people are dying. So, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's kind of, it's all very well for creative people, you know, to, to start talking about positives, especially people like me who are in a very privileged position in their own house here without having to sort of like cope with a lot of people in the same house. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm lucky. This is easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, um, I have to make allowances for that. Yeah. But hopefully, yes, things have got to change. Things have got to change. Mm-hmm. There's more wildlife about. I've noticed this already because there's less people about. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean people are a bad thing. People are a good thing. People are great. You know, I'm, I'm not a misanthrope at all. Mm-hmm. You know, there's less planes in the sky. There's less pollution going on. Um, but maybe it's an ill wind that blows nobody any good. But at the moment we're actually suffering that ill wind. So I think it's got to be a day at a time before we start philosophizing about how things might be in the future. two-minute stories, more musings, what it means to be locked up in a time of time of terribleness, really, time of death. I suppose we don't reflect on that much in this show. We're trying to do something lighter, light-hearted mostly, or at least bring a bit of lightness into the darkness. But there we go. Another two-minute stories and another ropey accent from Chris. I think it was a bit bad at the time, actually. I might stick with the Irish. It must be because it's in my blood. We can pull it off a wee bit better. Just a wee bit. Shut up all the critics. What did we learn in this show? Well, we learned about Rachel Gen's reliance on silence. Yeah, I get what she's saying. And her butcher's shop immersive tour of death and meat. Jesus. <laughs> That's just what this time needs, eh? And we heard from Keith what it was like to move house just as the lockdown, as the lockdown started and to get to know, to get to know a new place in rural Yorkshire. On the next show, who have we got? Who have we got on the next show? 
Chris Nealon. Well, we have got one of the poetry scene's luminaries, Varney Capaldeo, who gave was kind enough to give me an interview direct from Trinidad. So we're going to hear what Trinidadian lockdown is like. And alongside Vani Capaldea, we're going to have comma press short fiction author and poet Michelle Green. I love Michelle. She gave a great interview about her time in Darfur in episode 10 of Two Minute Stories in the first season. And she's back with a new piece of, I would say, prose poetry to read, which I loved, which you're going to love too. That's in the next show. And I am going to close off this show with a little piece I bashed together called in the morning. Thanks for listening. See you on the flip side. How is it that you've just noticed me? The spirit of the elm by your bedroom window. I've been watching you since you moved in. You move with the weight of your years and the oil of your thoughts. You are lumbering, clumpering, trundling robots of years and thoughts, all of you. I watch you, galumphing past in your too short running shorts, sweating out your regrets as if that's what glands are for. I watch you as you sleep. I watch you in the morning, rising spirit from dead white corpus, ghosting down your stairs, spirits of your previous mornings lapping and overlapping, I see you. Remember to drink water, biped. Keep it by your double, at arm's reach. There are secrets you can learn, but you must keep topped up, your kind. I see you, zombified, stumbling, rumpled, you and your ilk, stumbling home from your special watering sessions. Not so much now, but the lads across from you, the ones who sunbathe on the gravel in the shadow of the ashes and the rhododendron, they still manage modest garden gulping sessions, don't they? Yeah, you see them. I see them through the windows too, sleeping, their dreams brimful with augmented hurts and their various shadow selves. Why didn't you notice me before all this? Because you're a simple, moment-anchored mono-heart, that's all. Half again as enlightened as the squirrels you watch pausing and darting along my uppers. You watch them with all the superior pleasure that I watch you. You are squirrels to me, and I like you just as well. Come clear the stones and fag bites from my roots. Press yourself against my bark. Fuck the neighbours. What do you care? Do you care about the squirrels? Mono hearts the world over commune with my kind. In the forests of the Yasuni, the Andaman Islands, the Koh Lantern mangroves. Press your cheek to my bark. Feel its impression. I've got something I want to tell you. Can you hear me? Come close.